Isaiah chapter 55, uh, where we read, O everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money on what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear. Come to me. Hear. And your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David. Brothers, sisters in Christ. Our help is in the name of the Lord. The God who created. The God who upholds and sustains all things. Receive his greeting. Grace unto you and peace. From him who is and who was and who is to come. From the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness. The first begotten of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to a, a pretty tough passage. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 16. Uh, in fact, I wrote a note on the top of my sermon. You know, it is probably um, one of the saddest, and I would, hear, I would dare say nauseating passages that you might ever read in the Scriptures. Um, in fact, as I read, I almost feel like I should apologize for what's there. But what's there is, in fact, an accurate description of God's people uh, in the days of Ezekiel, in the days of Isaiah, and so forth. Uh, we will read uh, the first section and then just a couple of verses from uh, the end of the chapter. Hear God's word. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know their, her abominations, and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your birth and your nativity. It sounds like Christmas, right? Well, just listen on. Thus says the Lord your God to Jerusalem, Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite, and your mother was a Hittite. As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into the open field. And when you yourself were loathed on the day... You were born. And when I passed by you, I saw you struggling in your own blood. I said to you, in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you, in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field. And you grew and matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed. Your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. 
Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. And I washed you with water, yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood, and I anointed you with oil, I clothed you with embroidered cloth, I, and gave you sandals of badger skin, I clothed you with fine linen, and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists, and a chain on your neck, and I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate pastry of fine flour, honey, and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect. And through my splendor, which I had bestowed on you, says the Lord. Just pause. We're talking about the nation of Israel here. We're not talking about an actual woman. We're talking about God's people, his covenant people that he chose. Verse 15, but you trusted in your own beauty, played the harlot because of your fame, and poured out your, your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. You took some of your garments and adorned multicolored high places for yourself and played the harlot on them. Such things should not happen, nor be. You also, you have also taken your beautiful jewelry from my gold and my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself male images and played the harlot with them. You took your embroidered garments and covered them. And you set my oil and my incense before them. Also my food which I gave you, the pastry of fine flour, oil, and honey which I fed you. You set it before them as sweet incense. And so it was, says the Lord, the Lord God. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters whom you bore to me, and these you sacrifice to them to be devoured. Were your acts of harlotry a small matter that you have slain my children and offered them up to them by causing them to pass through the fire? In all your abominations and acts of harlotry, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and struggling in your blood. Then it was so after all your wickedness. Woe, woe to you, says the Lord God, that you also built for yourself a shrine and made a high place for yourself in every street. And, and it goes on. It, it's just sickening as it continues to describe the, the degree of wickedness and sinfulness that uh, was over coming and, 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 and extended. And then one of the surprises here is that God says that Israel became, and Judah became worse sinners than the Canaanites. Worse sinners than the people that were replaced uh, by Israel entering into the land of Canaan, the promised land. Verse 48, As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor your daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. 
Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw fit. Samaria did not commit half of your sins, but you have multiplied your abominations more than they and have justified your sisters by all the abominations which you have done. You who judged your sisters bear your own shame because your sins which you committed were more abominable than yours. They are more righteous than you. Yes, be disgraced also and bear your own shame because you justified your sisters. Now, there's more that in the middle and there's more at the end because God talks about a future restoration, a future of hope. Uh, but for the, the vast majority of Israel and Judah and Jerusalem, uh, their end was doomed. In fact, we'll read when we get to the sermon uh, in, in, in Isaiah chapter 1 that if it hadn't been for the Lord saving a remnant, just a few, uh, they would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Isaiah chapter 1, we will read the first 20 verses. Hear the word of God. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, when he saw, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken and nourished and brought up children. And they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crisp. But Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger. The Holy One of Israel, they have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faints. From the sole of your foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Look at the play on words next. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. 
To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs of goats. When you appear to me, when you come to appear before me, who has required this of your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and the Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings. And before my eyes, cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophecy of Isaiah, on a certain level, I think, stands separate by itself. There are aspects of Isaiah that sort of just boggle my mind. In fact, I... Um, uh, this is probably five or six, six or seven years ago, uh, the Cardinals of Nebraska were holding a meeting here at St. John's. Remember who those are? <laughs> uh, Pastor uh, Scott Henry, uh, Daryl Kingswood, uh, Lee and myself, and we just had kind of a pastor's meeting and talking and at that meeting, I don't know if Lee was in the room at the time, but I remember asking Daryl Kingswood, what do you think of the book of Isaiah? It's kind of been a hobby of mine to study and to look at it. And just a couple of the astounding things. Uh, how many chapters are there in the book of Isaiah? Anybody? 66. Guess how many books there are in the Bible? 66. Um. In chapter 40, the prophecy Isaiah begins to talk about John the Baptist and the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that means before Isaiah chapter 40, there were how many, how many, book, how many chapters? 39, right? Well, guess how many books there are in the Old Testament? 39. So now if you count forward from 40 to 66, you get 27. Guess how many books there are in the New Testament? 27. Uh, you come to Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, actually before that. In Isaiah chapter 40, you have songs about the incarnation of Christ. 
Comfort, comfort ye my people. Thus says your God, your warfare's been paid. And foreshadowing the, the coming Christ. Then in chapter 52 and 53, we hear all about the suffering, the death of Christ. In, in words that are undeniably fulfilled by Christ on the cross. And, and shortly after in shortly after in in Isaiah 54 and 55, what do we see there? Well, we see the prophecy of the book of Acts. In fact, we're even told about the Ethiopian eunuch, that, that he will become the father of many sons and daughters. Astounding. And of course, how does Isaiah end but by foretelling the judgment? Speaking of the worm of torment that will chew on the flesh of the wicked, will never die. All to say, the prophecy of Isaiah uh, is a book of its own. In fact, chapter 55, which I read the call to worship from this morning, you could plug it in anywhere in the New Testament. It was bad. But, but here it is, a, 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 an affirmation of the fact that God provides true food and true drink to His people. And so it is that as we come to chapter 1, you know, I'm not sure it's the greatest idea to have a, an Advent series or a Christmas series titled Doom and Gloom and Hope in the prophecy of Isaiah. But honestly, that's the setting into which Christ came. There was no hope. There, there was no rescue. There was no solution until Christ came and fulfilled the prophecies made about him. Uh, the effectiveness of his ministry and, and his life. In fact, you heard that in the, in, the, in the greeting this morning, right? You have washed us from our sins with your own blood. We'll shift here. You know, while I was praying, I thought that somebody was moving the tables back there. And then I saw Dan hands going, oh, it's me. My bad. At any rate, uh, in Isaiah chapter 1, uh, we, we hear words that tell us of the setting of Isaiah's ministry, when it took place. You can go and, I don't know if your Bibles have a, list of all the kings of, of Israel and their order and the kings of Judah, but it, it all fits right in that spot. And, and, and I, think, I think chapter 1 describes a point in history after Isaiah chapter 6, where, uh, which records Isaiah's um, uh, his ordination or his being called uh, to be a prophet of the Lord, uh, because Israel's not mentioned here, right? These are the visions that he saw regarding Jerusalem and Judah. Uh, in 722, they were destroyed. The northern ten tribes, they were carried away. Uh, some survived, but, but many not. They, 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 they were in rebellion against God all of this time, from the first king to the last. In fact, um, just as an aside, we, uh, one of my elders in Kansas City always asks this question of confirmance. He says, can you name any good kings from the northern Ten tribes? 
And they would guess this one or that one, and it was a trick question, because there were no good kings. Everybody walked in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who put idols in the north, the golden calf in Dan, who, who put a calf in, in, in Bethel, the house of God, where God revealed himself to Jacob and led Israel astray. It's too far for you to go to Jerusalem, those six more miles. Right? It's too far. Just bring your offerings here. And he made prophets and priests out of the common people and so on. Anyway, did Judah learn from the judgment of Israel? No. In fact, we're told, um, it's the last part of verse 4, they have turned backward. Literally, they have put their backs toward God and gone and done their own thing. They've pursued the gods of the nations. They've pursued uh, the idolatry, the evil practices that were being taught. So we will look at these, uh, this passage, Isaiah chapter 1, and see that despite the fact that the people are lost and rebellious, God still comes to them and calls to them that they might repent and be reconciled to their God. It's amazing. And, and, and how does this fit in our celebration of the Lord's Supper? Well, what is the examination of ourself involved? Right? Are you mindful of your sin? Are you, do, do you know what you deserve from God? Well, if you say yes, then you know that you deserve to be condemned and cast away. But somehow, but some why, in God's unfolding mercy and truth, He spares some. He has grace upon his people. Well, what we will see first is the imagery of this spiritual rebellion. Secondly, the depth of the spiritual darkness. And, and you saw, you heard some of that in Ezekiel chapter 16. It's appalling. It, 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 it should be a nightmare for us in, in, in terms of how God's people failed to love and serve him as they ought. And then thirdly, the call for spiritual revival. The historic setting is Isaiah. Uh, in, somewhere in the middle of 750, uh, I think he prophesied, if you, you put together the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, it spans about 100 years. So he, I don't think he was the beginning to the end of each of those kings and their reigns, but take a middle area, probably 60 to 70 years worth. And, and, and that places his, some of his ministry before, before the fall of, uh, of, of Samaria and its destruction. And, of course, some of it takes place after that. Uh, his focus uh, is in Judah and Jerusalem. And the opening verse says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. Heaven and earth is going to bear witness to every generation. The earth is not going to forget the nations that rise and fell, those that thought they could love and live without God and His grace. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for you may be called as a witness, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. It's like having a toddler sitting on his mother's or father's lap and boxing his parents' nose, 
without relenting, right? Verse 3, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. When I was young, I don't remember three, four, six, seven. Uh, I remember uh, being at church and there was a a minister at the church who would quite often read these first verses. Uh, of Isaiah. I'm not sure it was part of the call to worship or maybe the call to repentance, uh, but he would refer to the, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people do not understand. And I remember thinking that that was, I was incensed. Even as a young child, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Of course it's not. Because what, what that means is that Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, the, the, the citizens of the kingdom, should have known better. Uh, but instead what they do is contrary to nature. Contrary to design and purpose and life. Even the ox knows where to go after its work. To get its food. The donkey. Its master's crib. But what does Israel do? She pursues her will, her happiness on every high hill, under every green tree. And what that's referring to is is pagan worship and probably prostitution. If not actual, at least spiritual. Should have they known better? Absolutely. And of course the the problem is their, their lostness. Look at verse 4. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked Him to anger. The Holy One of Israel has turned away backward. They have turned away backward. And of course... What, what is the nature of sin? And how does that compare with the nature of God? Right. Well, you know Catechism 12? Since then, by the righteous judgment of God, we deserve temporal, now, and eternal, forever, punishment. How can we escape? Where can we go? Well, the answer comes back, God will have His justice satisfied. That should be pretty frightening. God will have His justice satisfied either by ourselves or by another. Do you know how we satisfy the justice of God apart from grace? By being condemned. By paying the price for all eternity. And of course the conversation there, well how then? How then can we be restored to God's favor? How can we find health and strength and life with Him? Well, God's justice will be satisfied. And we must find where that comes. And of course, can we do it? No. Can we nominate the the pianist? No. Because he has his own sense, right? Can we offer an ox or a a goat or a, a sheep? No, because God won't punish another creature for the sins that man 
has committed. And so what we, what we find is that chapter 1 of Isaiah sets before mankind this conundrum. What is God going to do? Well, God is righteous, holy and true. Man, on the whole, in the entirety, is sinful, guilty, and deserving of wrath. And so what we need is a Redeemer. What, what we need is a Savior. And of course, that's what we find, isn't it? In the God who came. Getting ahead of myself. Our second point is the depth of this spiritual darkness. Why should you be stricken again? Will you revolt more and more? Then God says, your whole head is thick. From the top of your head to the tips of your toes. There's no soundness. Only wounds. Only bruises. Only putrefying sores. That haven't been closed or bound up or soothed. And then he gives this snapshot. Well, what is life like in Israel or in Judah in these days? Your country is destitute. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion, the true seed, the, the progeny of the Lord, like a little booth in the vineyard, a hut in a garden, even as a besieged city. Then verse 9. This point and this time, it's as close to gospel as we hear. Look at verse 9. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. And we would have become, would have been made like Gomorrah. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Off the map. Fire and brimstone rained down from, ha- from heaven and they were destroyed. They, they were no more. Well, what the Lord is saying here is that unless the Lord had set apart a remnant, a few, a handful, the whole nation would be just the same. We would have been become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Then look at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is all your worshiping? All, all the things that you bring, I'm tired of it. it. It turns my stomach, God says. I will not look or listen. Verse 12, when... You come to to appear before me. Who has required this of your hands to trample my courts? Bring no more sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moon and the Sabbath and the calling of assemblies, I cannot. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. When you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes. Even though you make your prayers, I will not hear. For your hands are full of blood. And so it is that the, the rulers, the ruling class, if you will, were taking advantage of the poor, the needy, 
They, they were suffering and dying at the expense of those who had more and were provided for. And so it is that the Lord preserves a very small remnant. In other words, he preserves some. And, and this isn't an unusual thing. This happened in the Garden of Eden. <coughs> this happened at the flood. This happened, on a, in a sense, even at Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot and his two daughters and his wife being escorted out of the city by angels before this judgment fell. So also in the exile, which is what we're reading about here. Uh, it was a great, horrendous destruction. Um, I, I think the, the estimates are like 40,000 uh, out of 4 million survived. Or I think that was the number that came back from the, the exile. It's just, it's just a... And, and, and through it all, God preserved and, and pitied and, and supplied uh, for all of his people. And he rescued some then, didn't he? Even the line of David was carried away early. Uh, Jehoiachin uh, to the land of Babylon. That's where we hear the story of, of Daniel. We read about his visions and, and so forth. How he, during those years, you know, was, was put to service in another land, in another place. Well, as we come to verses 16 and following, we come to some, uh, I would venture to say, some of the most beautiful verses in Scripture. We talk about the gospel calls. Well, Isaiah 55 is pretty beautiful in the same way. Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Wonderful words. Second Corinthians 5, 20 and 21, Be reconciled to God, as though God were pleading through us as ministers. That, that's beyond... As though God were pleading through us, begging through us, be reconciled to God. So also here, listen to verses 16 and following, really is the uh, biblical illustration of repentance. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead the widow. And of course, all of those things are things that they weren't doing. Most always, when you find commands in Scripture telling you to do something, it's because we naturally don't do it. When we read commands and things in Scripture that tell us not to do things, guess what? Those are things that are pretty easy to do. And, and all of these things, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Would they do that before they realized that they were sinners? Guilty before the Almighty? Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. We know that God sees everything. Think about that. There's nothing that escapes His view. There's nothing that obscures it. In fact, there's a verse in Psalm 139. My daughter, uh, youngest daughter used to have me me read before bedtime. It says the light and the darkness are the same to you. You see as clearly in the one as in the other. 
That's a comfort. Or that's a conscience. <laughs> right? There's nothing hidden from his side. Hebrews chapter 4, describing the Word, describing the Holy Spirit. We are naked and bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. That's what this is telling us. Verse 17, learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Who's going to do those things? Someone whose heart has been touched. Right? Part of part of that remnant. And, and and of course I think it's not exactly the same, but you know, when we hear challenges like that, to to be and to do and to act as we ought, we, we, we don't escape that responsibility, do we? It's, it's so easy to put blinders on and, and, and to just you know, be constricted in, in what we do, what we see, what we know. Uh, and so we just go about our business in, in many ways. Verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. In other words, just think these things through. What makes sense of life? What makes sense of, 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 of me? Of my future? You and your future? What, 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 what is, what's, in the, what's in the realm of possibilities? Right? Well, the one thing we can know for sure is that God's revealed will is the sure, sure path to life. You know, my little play on words, the, the path on which you travel determines the destination that you will reach. So where you're going and how you're going uh, is, is preeminent, is, is, is exactly the point. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What's one thing that's pretty clear about what the Lord is revealing here? What does the color crimson and scarlet have to say? That's the, that's the word. Or maybe the are. But the become it is that uh, on which and for which we, we see. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. H- how do you suppose? How do you suppose that's possible? Only one way. And of course that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. As we began our service. That by his blood. He has washed away our sins. In fact, um, last week I preached the same series on Isaiah chapter 6. And there's a point in there where one of the seraphim takes his tongs and grabs a coal out of the fire. And then he goes over to Isaiah and touches his mouth. And then he says, now your sins have been forgiven. 
have been washed away. And how, how does that work? Well, I believe the only way that works is the same uh, suffering and death of the Lord Jesus Christ, making atonement for all the sins of all men throughout all time. And of course, that is, that is His grace and the provision that He has supplied. And so it is that God provides His grace and mercy to His people. And, and to me, the, the amazing part of this, how, how does this fit into Christmas season? Well, the amazing part is when you consider the time and the setting in which this invitation is given. He, he already described how they go do their own thing, how they turn their backs to Him, how they refuse to listen. Right? And now God comes to them and calls them to Himself. Come to Me. Let us reason to gather, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. It, it, it's remarkable in what God has done, in which God provides for His people. If it were not for God, if it were not for His grace, all, all hope is lost. And so as we conclude this message and we prepare to come to the Lord's table, one of the things it says in our form is that we are to examine ourselves whether we are mindful of our sins and know what we deserve. Uh, whether we are fully trusting uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and Redeemer, as the one who pays the debt for us. And then thirdly, whether we are committed to live a life of thankfulness and gratitude to God all the days of our lives. You know, we don't know the future, but we, we know the destination and, and how to get there and to go there and to grow there uh, would be the exact point. So what do we know for sure? What, what carries over to today compared to uh, the days of Isaiah? Well, I think it's pretty clear. In God's perspective, all the people were steeped in rebellion in their sins. They showed themselves to be sinful, rebellious, broken. And in the midst of that darkness, how, how dark is it outside? How dark is it in the world? Maybe not this dark. Maybe more dark, but the same God is warm and calls men forth. It's like the valley of dry bones. Son of man, preach to those bones. Can these bones live? You know, O Lord. Preach to them. And he preaches to dead bones. And guess what happens? They, they start moving and wiggling and coming together. And he keeps preaching and, and, and pretty soon sinews and muscles and, and so on starts forming on those bones. And then God says, Son of man, can these bones live? What's the right answer? You know, O oh Lord. You know. God can do what He wills in every age, in every place, in every time. Uh, will there be a, a worldwide revival of those that seek the Lord and find Him? I don't know. I, I doubt it, but I hope so. 
And I think it's worthy of our prayers. How many billions of people are on the planet? And how many billions of those billions are lost? Right? It's frightening. And, and, and just think about this. When God came down to Sodom and Gomorrah, He told Abraham that we, we have heard about Sodom and Gomorrah. We're, we're coming down to see whether it's so. What does God hear from heaven today? Whether you think about abortion, whether you think about uh, the whole sex slave industry, whether you think about the, the corruptness at, on, on, on high levels and high places, it's a fearful thing. But what do we know? That the God who reigns in heaven doesn't allow anyone, anywhere, to breathe and continue living without his permission. People want to think that um, you know men can do what they want, but no. Uh, they are all subject to God Almighty. Uh, their lungs work. They can breathe because He permits it. And of course all of these things uh, are attested to in the Scriptures again and again. So what does the world have to do? What do we have to do? Well, we need what only God can give. And only uh, by His bestowing this inner transformation of heart and soul um, we don't have what we need. But, let's say we have this sense that these things are so. And I know that my life hasn't been lived the way it ought to be. My terms, not God's terms. Well, number one, repent. Number two, dare to hope that there is life beyond our experience and our failures of the past. Cry out to Him for His grace. Trust in His kindness. Believe the promises of God. What is the promise of God? That our sins are forgiven for the sake of Christ. For His one sacrifice on the cross. Honestly, the whole call to faith and repentance is too good to be true. You mean all the, all the bad things I've ever done can be washed away? Yep. And, and that's where the doctrine of justification is so wonderful. Remember how it goes? The Sunday school definition, just as if I never sinned. Well, it's better than that. It's not only just as if I never sinned, it's also just as if I've perfectly obeyed the will of God. And that's what Christ has done. Right? So when we hear God assessing the life and ministry of Christ at His transfiguration, when He says, My well-beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, guess what? 
His perfect obedience, His perfect life, is being recognized by the Father. Jesus could say to His enemies, Who of you convicts me of sin? They couldn't. Because He was the perfect, incarnate Son of God who came into the world to save sinners, of whom we are all numbered. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful to you for your grace, for your blessing. We know that there is much doom and gloom, but we're thankful that there is also hope, that there is also life and rescue, deliverance, redemption, salvation. Oh Lord, all of these things come to us by your hand. Grant that we would lay hold of these things, that we would love you and serve you as we ought. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.